Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à un autre épisode du Gasly Podcast. Um, for those of you who don't speak French, that means hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Gasly Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Where today we are going to be looking at some French horror or horreur français. <laughs> Beautifully done. We are going to be looking at the 2021 film Titan. Sorry, I really will stop. <laughs> Titan. Keep going. There we go. Titan from 2021, directed by, no, I must resist, Julie <laughs> Ducourneau. Do you know any French? I know a little bit. I stopped doing French because I had an, like a terrible teacher pre-GCSE and he, he kind of scarred me into oh. doing Spanish instead, which I really enjoyed. But you know what? Well, maybe we'll look up. at a Spanish horror film next time and... You know, you can do a little hola intro. I can do a little hola, you're right. Well, to those of you who do speak French, merci beaucoup. And to those of you who don't, sorry about that. <laughs> the rest of the episode will be in English. I promise. So, Julie Ducourneau, a lot of people will know from Raw 2016. Raw. Which is a coming-of-age story about a girl who is brought up vegetarian in a committedly vegetarian household, but upon entering veterinary college, she acquires a taste for, for meat, let's say, and it starts to escalate from there. And people were thinking, hmm, what's going to come out of this writer next? And I don't think people were really expecting Titan, but it definitely has the same kind of iconoclastic approach as Raw did. Uh, back in 2016 uh, in its kind of depiction of very uncensored, unfiltered violence, but then also youth and, and questions of identity, which I think were very important in Raw because it was all about one girl finding out who she is. So in that sense, Titan is engaging with the same questions, but I'd say in a much more risky way. begins with a man and his daughter driving down a stretch of anonymous motorway in France. The young girl, Alexia, fidgets behind her father as he drives, causing him to grow increasingly irritated. When she removes her seatbelt, he reaches back to scold her, causing a car crash. As a result of significant injuries to her skull, Alexia is fitted with a large titanium plate above her right ear. Though largely unexplained, the presence of the metal in her body gives her a strange affinity to cars. Many years later, Alexia is now a young woman working as a dancer at a vehicle showroom. As part of her job, she dances seductively on top of cars as crowds of men look on. After her shift, Alexia heads home but realises she is being stalked by a male fan who tells her he is in love with her before forcing her into a kiss. Alexia pulls a metal pin from her hair and plunges it right into his ear canal. Alexia leaves the body in the car park and returns home, where she washes herself of the dead man's blood and vomit. 
She hears a loud thumping on the door of her apartment and finds a car she danced on earlier outside seemingly driving itself. Alexia clambers inside and has sex with the car. In this way, it's revealed that Alexia not only possesses a strange and powerful mutual attraction to motor vehicles, but has also committed a string of violent murders, of which her emotionally distant parents remain blissfully unaware. At a house party, Alexia is about to sleep with one of her dancer colleagues from the showroom, but she discovers a frightening souvenir of her earlier coupling with the car. A viscous black substance like engine oil has begun to seep from her vagina, after checking to see if she's pregnant with a test in the bathroom of her house, she uses her metal hairpin to try and perform an abortion on herself. Unsuccessful, she emerges from the bathroom and goes on a violent, almost comically meaningless rampage, attacking and killing the others that she finds in the house. Back at her parents' home, Alexis attempts to burn a bloody blanket, resulting in her family home being burned down with her parents locked inside their room. Now fully on the run from the authorities, Alexia is forced to take on a new identity and physical appearance in order to evade detection. She hijacks the identity of a boy who went missing over a decade ago called Adrien Legrand, whose father is a fire captain named Vincent. Now, after a gruelling scene where Adrian repeatedly slams her nose against a ceramic basin in order to break it, and painfully binds her pregnant stomach and breasts with bandages, she is almost immediately embraced by Vincent as his long-lost son, and taken back to their house at the fire station. Alexia is now living full-time as Adrian, and working alongside a group of other young men at the fire station. The others are wary of this shy, androgynous newcomer, who refuses to speak to even her, or I suppose his, in this case, supposed father. And when one of the men confronts the captain about his son's suspicious identity, Vincent immediately shuts him down. Alexia is uncomfortable with Vincent's intense and often overbearing demeanour towards her, and on many occasions she plots to escape from his home. However, it is revealed that Vincent has been abusing steroids as a means of fending off the weakness from ageing. And when he experiences a cardiac arrest after an injection, it seems to endear Vincent to her, and she chooses to stay at a fire station. Vincent's ex-wife, the mother of the missing Adrian, turns up at their house to see her supposed son who has returned home after his 12 years of absence. The estranged wife accidentally walks in on Alexia in the middle of binding her heavily pregnant abdomen. But she chooses not to share her secret with Vincent, whom she recognises is now content that he has a surrogate son to care for. Vincent even admits to his own delusions, calling out the fact that Alexia is not actually Vincent at all, but that whoever she is, regardless, he will care for her like his son. A party is held at the fire station, and after the other firefighters force Alexia to climb up on top of one of the fire trucks, she performs a seductive dance routine in the garb of Adrian, creating an uncomfortable dissonance for the men who watch. Following the party, Alexia copulates with one of the fire trucks. As her due date goes ever nearer and her belly grows even larger, the skin on her stomach begins to tear away, revealing a metallic surface underneath. Close to giving birth, Alexia attempts to seduce Vincent, who turns down her advances. Now in labour and struggling with the immense pain, Vincent helps deliver the baby as her head splits open at the side of her titanium plate with the final contraction. Alexia dies, but the newborn child survives, with what appears to be a titanium spine. Vincent embraces the child, taking it as his own. So what do you think Titan is about, Joanna? Because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of themes floating around in this one. Yes. Uh, and I think it is quite hard to get a grasp on what Julie might actually be saying with this character of Alexia. 
not just an unconventional protagonist, but also in some respects, a very unlikable protagonist in the sense that she commits all these terrible murders. Mm. I think the themes that I would identify as being the most prominent are obviously gender, mm-hmm. body horror, and also perhaps again, body horror and gender tied up with one another. And then also, this is a bit that threw me a little bit because it did feel like another film kind of three quarters of the way through. Not found family because that sounds all very cheesy and lovely and nice, mm. but as in family and the way in which her relationship with Vincent is kind of substituted on a comforting lie mm. that benefits them both. I would say those are the three crucial elements of the film for me. And whether they all gel together perfectly is another matter. Well, Alexia emerges from this rather distant, emotionally absent relationship with her father and her mother, with whom she doesn't really seem to have any real connection. And I think Mm. part of her sense of isolation as a protagonist comes from that lack of emotional connection with anyone, really. And you see the substitute for that relationship very peculiarly projected onto the cars that surround her, that she seems to have this strange affinity for ever since she gets this titanium plate put into her skull after the car accident. Well, this is a question. Do you think that the titanium plate is the source of the affinity of cars? Or do you think that Mm. the car accident in and of itself um, starts because she already has this kind of mechanical affinity? Mm. If they're like banging on the window, not being able to sit still, like agitation in the car. We do see her father so angry with her fidgeting in the car that he literally turns back yeah. whilst he's driving. It's not recommended. Yeah. Well, I can say with good authority that you absolutely should not turn around to yell at your child while you are driving at however many miles per hour down a motorway. Well, there you go. Or down the A road, I suppose. Or whatever the equivalent of the A road is in France. It's one to think about, really, because it does remind me of the the Cronenberg that we were looking at last yes. week, Videodrome. Well, that's what I thought. Part of me was also like, oh, maybe we should have done a kind of new transitional series. It's body horror, but then at the same time, it is nice to do these, I suppose, um, one-off episodes. But yes, it's like, I like the fact that it's not only body horror that they've got in common, but also this very specific kind of like very mechanical, mm. almost body or like the distinction between human and machine is breaking down. And almost venturing into the realm of, you know, cyborg. Yeah. Sort of a straightforward melding of inorganic with the organic in a way that Videodrome kind of hinted at, you know, with the gun being sealed onto his hand. Mm. But here you see that taken even further with literally a child of a human and a car. Yeah. And I, I guess the flip side, the kind of, I don't know, I think the, the, the depiction of it in this film is... It, it kind of lends a sort of gravitas to it that was missing because I feel like the only cultural touchstone I had for that kind of premise before this were those YouTube videos of people saying that they're in love with their cars. Oh my God, (laughs) yes, the object sexuals. Yeah. I have vivid memories of being at the hairdressers reading like Take a Break magazine um, while I was waiting for like my foils to dry. And there was um, this woman who I read about um, with fascination who was in love with a fairground teacup ride. (laughs) And so, and she married the teacup and she had a nickname for it and she called it Cuppy. And she was talking about how she like went on the teacups and like orgasmed. And 
it was just, I was like 13 at the time and I was just reading it with fascination and incredulity. Is it just the one, just the one teacup? Is it one specific teacup that she... Yeah, I think so. Gosh. It's one specific teacup on the teacup ride. But what happens when that ride moves on with the fairground? I don't know. I'm sure it must have done by now because that would have been nearly 10 years ago. Does she just drive after them? Does she join the... Does she join the fairground? That must be quite an upsetting if you're, the love of your life is just being like hoisted around the country. And, and you. I know. Well, that's the thing. I think she used to follow it occasionally. Is it the same as when your husband or your wife goes on business trips and you're just like, oh, I'll see you when I see you, you know? It's tricky, but we get through it. And mm. you just wait for the fairground to come back to town and you're like, I'm going to see Cuppy again. <laughs> also, Cuppy, come on. It's just not, a, it's not an original or creative nickname for the love of your life. No, I know. What do you think about, um, say, Alexis' connection with the vehicles? Mm. Um, connection being the word for it, I suppose. Do you think, because obviously when we're talking about this woman who is in love with Cuppy, mm. um, that's like a, you know, a lifelong, like, committed romantic partnership. Mm. <laughs> what do you <laughs> On think? On both sides. You know, do you think Alexia is promiscuous with the cars? Yeah, it seems... Do you think she just sees them as a bit of fun? Yeah, I feel like she uses them as, as, a, as a sexual outlet. There's no yeah. kind of, I feel like it doesn't really seem to go further than that. It's it's an interesting one to to look through the lens of materialism, you know, and commodification. Mm. These are, en- these are, these are machines that are, are built to be sold. They're built to be yeah. um, fetishized in the way that the showrooms um, well, this is the hire thing as these well. women to dance on There's top of them. There's this notion that obviously what Alexia does with the cars is just like extremely deviant and abnormal sexuality. Mm. And yet at the same time, the car showroom she's working in already creates that kind of environment. Absolutely. Also, is that a real thing that happens in real life? Are there really dancers for car showrooms? Well, I feel like it's more more of a cliche now, right? Where you have uh, people make references to that era when you'd hire a beautiful model to wander around on the spinny plinths with the car, right? And sort of open the doors, get in, get out, wander about. But in those situations, it was really interesting to see how Julie had visualised these crowds of anonymous, onlooking men, you know, yeah. who just gawp at the, spe- the spectacle. Yeah, She's carrying out this expectation for her to, to sexualise and sort of act seductively in the vicinity of these vehicles to try and transmute that sexuality, her own sexuality, onto mm. those cars for the purpose of selling. But at the same time, she, when she, of her own volition, sexually engages with these, these cars, it gets reconfigured as this, yeah, as you said, this hugely mm. transgressive act that has no place in, in, not only in society, but in the reality of the interaction itself. You know, it's never really explained how she manages to copulate with the cars. Yeah. And and the cars are driving themselves. You know, there's this strange magical realism to that. The fact that they include that scene at the end of um, her like job dancing in a showroom where the guy follows her into the car park 
and start stalking her essentially. Mm. I think there's also that kind of explanation for like the appeal of the machine to her and that like the vehicle is in a way something that like, yes, obviously like in a weird magical realist way it drives itself, but also like it's something that she can have control over. It's not like a thinking, mm. feeling thing. It's not going to harass her or cause problems for her. It's just a thing. It's mm. just an object. And there's kind of a safety in objects. And when she initiates those interactions, she remains in control in a, in mm. the way that she wasn't when that man assaults her and says, you know, oh, I love you. Pardon, je voulais te dire... Je crois que je suis tombé à moto en fait. Je sais que tu dois me prendre pour un fou. Tu ressens sûrement pas la même chose. Mais peut-être qu'on peut essayer d'être amis déjà. Et puis après on verra. Alors, t'en penses quoi as well what you think of the scene at the end so we're going right to the other end of the film now where um obviously in the fire station as adrian she kind of does that exact same dance mm. with the fire truck that she would have done in the car showroom and all of a sudden now that she's perceived to be a male it becomes this kind of deeply unsettling performance for again all the male spectators around mm. her once they perceive her to no longer be basically kind of like a piece of meat and a woman all of a sudden the cognitive dissonance is like what the hell is this this is so weird i think the the clarity of being you know someone who identifies as a man and then looking on at a sort of objectified female who is yeah. um, performing a seductive dance? The valency of that situation is directly correlated in the in in the way that you can use that as currency to to reinforce your own gender identity. Mm. You know, so that that situation. I don't know. That was probably a very shit way of describing that. No, but. I think you're right. I think there is a kind of gender affirmation amongst men in the objectification of women. Oh, and then it kind and of froze him into this kind of like weird, like, oh, what's going on? This doesn't feel right. I don't like it. When, say, for example, at the end, when they see what to them is Adrian doing the exact same dance mm, mm. that Alexia does in the car showroom. Like, I think as well, they're also, because they kind of have see themselves reflected in other men to see mm. what they perceive as Adrian doing that. It's like this horrible it kind of, because that's to them is not what men should do. It yeah. kind of threatens their own masculinity, even though they're still the spectators. Mm, mm. And we're seeing a hyper-masculine uh, sort of social environment amongst yeah. these, these young firefighters. You know, they're all um, 
into weightlifting and bodybuilding and there's this real sense of like machismo and camaraderie between them and you see that at the party you know they're all sort of topless like getting like really pumped up and aggressive dancing very aggressively and it's completely offset when they expect Adrian to like climb up onto the top of the truck and do some kind of I don't know what they're expecting him to do let's be honest but they're expecting something very different and then what they get is um this very strange sort of like in between state Mm. then in turn through through voyeurism through the act of seeing it and the act of confirming whether or not you are achieving a sense of sort of like pleasure from from what you're seeing it then reconfigures and forces you to sort of like look back and reflect on your own identity and the only the uh, the ways in which you've decided to define yourself yeah uh, and i think that's what this film is doing a lot is it's really digging into those in between states um these almost non-binary states yeah The, the bridging of male and female through Alexia's appropriation of, of the, the missing boy Adrian's identity. But then you also have this merger between man and machine of, of metal and flesh that is present in not only in her own surgery, but in the way that she then gives birth to this mm. child who, who has yeah. a, a titanium spine built into yeah. it. The child occupying the in-between between the human and the machine. Perhaps the the child then represents kind of embracing of the ability to move between states because we also have, as you said earlier, we have this shifting, really complex relationship between Vincent and Adrian, which I think we should probably talk Mm. about. And again, this also really plays into the gender aspect of it as well, because I think something that is really interesting, and I think especially relevant to kind of the transgender themes of the film, is the fact that like, Vincent in his kind of like steroid injection um, is kind of performing like gender affirming like treatments on himself in a way. Yeah, it is a kind of gender confirmation surgery that he's 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 enacting. Yeah, it's just like the taking of um, it's just like the taking of uh, hormones. Yeah, except it's this kind of idea that because it's like a cisgender man injecting steroids into himself to feel more masculine that we kind of forget that actually that is still mm. completely gender affirming. And I think there's this idea as well of like the body, obviously, and I suppose aging, as we've said, um, really kind of throwing his it personal sense of masculinity completely off balance. Mm. And perhaps the feeling of a failure as a father because he lost his son mm. and so on. He's in this very fragile state 
where I think he's also willing to accept, like he's willing to accept the dangers of the steroids. He's willing to accept like Alexia is adding on into his life without really asking any questions because mm. he wants that kind of affirmation for himself of like, no, you are, you are still like a masculine man. You are like able to be a father again. It's all about that role playing um, yeah. the, the idea of filling roles and obligations that have been laid out before you. And I think it, to give credit to Vincent, it somewhat expands beyond the role of just, you know, doggedly performing these tropes or fulfilling these roles in order to feel more masculine. There is, there is a real loving side to him, you know, mm. albeit somewhat forcefully played out. Yeah. There's a, there's a frustration to him and there's a sadness to him that kind of comes out and is expressed as you know, controlling, uh, aggressive, uh, these kind of, um, negative masculinist, um, aspects of character. But I completely agree that, uh, this film does explore body modification and the relationship between modifying and changing one's body to either assert or evade identity. Mm. And that's what we see in the scene with Alexia, um, oh breaking her nose on Stop. the <laughs> that was so upsetting filmed in just a very uncompromising way i think well i i do i couldn't really watch it i think it's the idea of doing it to yourself that was the most grueling yeah. aspect of it on the sink and the fact as that well it's just horrible cold surface even that you can kind of like analyze in terms of obviously a sink is not really a machine in the same way but it's again that kind of like cold mechanical kind of almost abuse. I don't want to say that, well, obviously it's weird, but the whole thing of election of cars, I don't want to say that's like any form of like self-abuse or self-harm. But there is that kind of like, it's not even like another human hand coming into contact with the nose and breaking it. It's just pure mm. like cold metal. Ugh. There's an element of masturbation in there as well, you could say. Yeah. That also connects to when Vincent is injecting himself with the steroids you know it's the intervention of a tool or a device um yeah. with the body and i think those Th that's a better are, way what you've just said is a much better way of phrasing it than i was scrambling for it, it is these sort of interventions of 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 the inorganic mm. uh in a way that preserves selfhood and preserves control and power because that's yeah. what you see with vincent when he's injecting himself with steroids as you said he's uh, taking it upon himself and he's using his agency as a means to then reaffirm his sense of being a man, being a, being strong, all the things he needs to be to feel validated in this world, you know, the hyper-masculine mm. world of, of the firefighters. But I think in that scene itself as well, there is a sort of, there's something sort of sensual about the way that he injects himself with the steroids i think it's very interesting it, it, that also borders in the same way on the the masturbatory
Well, I have a question for you actually then, based on that, this idea of like control over one's own body. Mm. What do you think about the fact, therefore, that um, Alexia's kind of first thing with the car in the car showroom leads to an unwanted pregnancy that she tries to abort? Well. Again, using a tool of intervention, her metal pin. Well, in the bare sense of of story, the pregnancy, you know, in, in all its unwantedness is, is the trigger for... Alexia to then escape this um, this life that she's been living and throw herself into this mm. very unstable, uh, on many levels unstable situation where she's both she's fleeing the law, she's bouncing between genders as a means of of protecting herself. Mm. In a way, I think it is an exploration of that tension between control and and being controlled and. It does remind me a bit of Rosemary's Baby, which you could take as a metaphor for for the, the experience of a woman's depletion uh, during mm. pregnancy and, and the loss of power and, and the ability to, to self-determine because she becomes kind of object to the thing that grows within her, but then also contr- more controlled and micromanaged by the people around her. And I suppose if Alexia was using... Uh, her relationship with cars as a way of um, expressing her sort of self-determination, her individuality. It's ironic and it's um, interesting that then that gets turned on its head and it becomes the thing that literally begins to like pull her apart. Uh, And it acquires this momentum of its own that then takes her over entirely. Unwanted pregnancy is in itself kind of real life body horror that happens to millions of people all around the world. And then I think obviously the um, kind of mechanical element of it and also the gender bending elements of it only exacerbate that in the sense that like, as she kind of disguises herself as Vincent's son, at the same time she has to, like when you're saying, for example, in the plot description about like binding pregnant abdomen, like that must be so, like that actually makes me like wince to even think mm. about it. And then obviously the end in the labor scene when the skin starts to literally like split apart. It's like there's a little parasite inside you. It reflects on the ways in which we inflict pain willingly on ourselves mm. and in our own bodies. And we we can end up damaging or, or or applying pressure to our bodies in ways that we perhaps shouldn't in in order to achieve our goals, you know, in order to um, discipline ourselves into a, a particular way of behaving. I do think it's worth talking about how um, gender performance does crop up as, uh, it does crop up in the ways that Alexia uses genders as a means of hiding herself. Mm. Um, so you have that counterpoint of, you know, affirming one's gender in the ways that Vincent is injecting himself with steroids. Steroids. That's it. <laughs> That's what <laughs> and, you're looking for. Yes, that is the word. And uh, on the other hand, you're having Alexia performing these very uh, aggressive, violent acts. You know, similarly intrusive in the sense in 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 the in the way that the uh, the steroid injection is intrusive, but it's in it's in evasion of of gender of of her gender. 
to create this other identity that she can hide in. So the idea of breaking her nose in order to fit fit a masculine appearance and the idea of binding her her pregnant belly in order to hide her breasts and all this kind of stuff and how it then gets epitomized in the sort of the ultimate destruction of the vessel alexia you know she 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 is um she is torn apart literally maybe the film is kind of also weird condemnation of the things that people feel like they have to put their body through in order mm. to say, for example, be able to kind of affirm and express like gender in the sense mm. that like, say for example, you know, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone because there's a lot of, say for example, dysphoric people who are generally like, yeah, I really do want to like change my body. But then there's other people who are like, well, I'm not actually that fussed about like doing this and this and that, but for my own yeah. safety and for like passing, et cetera, I feel like I have to do this and I have to do like procedures which are arguably like quite risky and I have to like take this intervention. Mm. And I think in a way you could also perhaps like read the film. It's like, and even like the fact that like if she doesn't say, for example, disguise herself as Adrian, it's like the idea of like, okay, clear, you know, capture by the state and incarceration. So it's kind of literally becomes almost like a life or death thing. And yet to do it, she's got to, you know, destroy her nose essentially um, damage her abdomen mm. and her, I mean, I don't know obviously what the impacts of binding your abdomen are on a fetus, but probably not good. Although I'm sure that fetus has other fish, bigger fish to fry. <laughs> it's a little titanium spine. And like, you know, Vincent and like, he has a heart attack from injecting a steroid. Yeah. Because he feels like he has to like, he feels like he's somehow less of a man if he doesn't fit this like specific ideal in his body, you know, I think it could also be like a kind of gender-based body horror in the sense of like, why does people feel the need to put themselves through these procedures? Mm. And that's cis and trans people, as we were saying about Vincent. Yes. It goes for, for everyone and everyone's relationship to gender. Yeah. Well, you know, why does cisgender women risk, you know, injections like Brazilian butt lift injections that like have a shockingly high fatality rate. Yeah. And that's, and that's not talked near about nearly as much or, or even in the same vein, or it's not even looked at as, as like the same kind of issue as gender confirmation surgery and that kind of thing. And those types of surgeries because of, you know, people's biases and people's prejudices, it's not beautification. It's always mutilation, isn't it? Yeah. And the the line between those two things is so fine. Like I was talking to someone the other day and we were having like quite a, like a heated debate about, you know, to what extent can you consider tattooing or uh, piercing and stuff as something that goes against, you know, you're, you're inflicting damage on your body. And that mm. idea of damage is so powerful and it's so political um, because people have been you know, quote unquote, damaging their bodies uh, deliberately in almost sort of ritual fashion as well for, yeah. you know, since time immemorial, you know, and in so many different ways, you know, scarring to create patterns on, on the skin uh, in the same way that tattooing creates beauty on the skin, using the skin as a canvas, but then also just things like getting, just getting ear piercings and then,
it was funny because in the conversation, the, the person I was talking to was like, oh, this is the thing about he helix piercings is that the body's just, all, you know, constantly rejecting them constantly. You know, that's why you get like keloids and stuff. And it's like your body, it, it's struggling to heal, you know, it's trying its best. It's going against the body's wishes. But then mm. um, this person literally just had Botox. <laughs> so Really? So, yeah. So it's just, it's Injecting just funny how- chemicals into your face with- you know, like a risk of accidentally injecting them into the bloodstream, which does happen. Exactly. And it's just so funny how we really cherry pick and we love to like, Yeah, we're just completely self-delusional about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like there are some cases where it's kind of like, it's sad, but like, well, it's not sad, but say, for example, with some like, say, I don't know, transgender people, there are obviously a lot of cases, as I was just saying, where people are like, well, maybe, you know, we really lived in a world where like bodies weren't taken into account at all when people's perceptions of gender like yeah i wouldn't like feel any need to like have any surgeries but at the end of the day we don't live in that world and so i'm not like oh well silly you look at you you know putting yourself under a surgery for i obviously i'm like yeah of course that's fine Mm -hmm. go for it but say for example you know when like maybe i'm gonna get like shouted at for like not being you know like let women do what they want but like you know when people get um say like nose jobs Mm. And then they're like, it's just, it's for me. It makes me feel like more comfortable. I'm like, yeah. And like, I get that. And like, I'm not blaming you if like you really hated your nose and it really made you upset. Mm. But like, you have to recognize the societal context, right? Of why your nose, why you've been conditioned to hate your nose and why you've been conditioned to feel uncomfortable with your nose. Yeah. And to therefore accept getting it literally smashed and slit into to be reshapen like I feel like as well with surgery especially and I think this is what body horror is good for because it kind of really brings it out into the open because of surgery it's like oh you know you go there you go under like general anesthetic and then you wake up and you've got a new nose while you're under that anesthetic the doctors are smashing your nose they are breaking it and they are cutting into it and I'm just like oh my god you know I feel like we really forget that. It's very violent. And the violence yeah. of the act is, so, is suppressed in, um, you know, these like ma- these more mainstream or more, ex- you know, quote unquote, acceptable surgeries. Like, as you said, like nose jobs, um, fillers. Um, what's, what's it called? Butt, butt something? Butt pads? Brazilian <laughs> butt lifts. Butt lifts, that's it. Yeah. Butt lifts, um, lipo, all this kind of stuff is that we really love to gloss over like the real... Um, it's a very intrusive, like violent act that it encompasses, but then just, you know, with other things that haven't, you know, that are, you know, more politicized, for example, gender confirmation surgeries, the violence of those acts is magnified. Yeah. Everyone shouts about it and screams about how aggressive and intrusive it must be mm. and blah, blah, blah. You know, where do you draw the line between self-determination? Yeah. The, the creation of self, the the affirmation of self, and the invention of 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 you, and and destruction. I think they're so closely mm. intertwined. Destruction and creation are almost one and the same, really, aren't they? Well, no one told me 
Thing. I actually think this film can be interpreted in like a myriad of ways. Like we could really interpret this film, say for example, as like a real celebration of like kind of like non-binary like ways of being, or you mm. could simultaneously like interpret it as like a very anti-gender, gender abolitionist film. And I'm not saying that Julie Ducorno holds either of those like viewpoints. I'm just saying that depending on how you read it, I really think you could make it fit either of those um, mm. like explanations. But um, I think, yeah, one thing that really influences the way you see the rest of the film might be the question of, is Alexia's kind of um, move into Adrian and therefore like presenting as male, whether that is any kind of like genuine, like if that's that all just entirely self-preservationist or whether there's like a genuine like exploration of and like settling into like being male. Does that make sense? Mm, like whether mm. it's all just a disguise or whether it becomes like a real Or it's identity. authentic or it's, yeah. yeah, actually reflecting and affirming uh, yeah. impulses like gender identity impulses that she has. I think this is a really yeah, I, good point. And in, in some ways you can kind of see it as the same thing, perhaps, where... Um, the idea to the idea of self-preservation or quote unquote no, sort of that's selfish so true. Um, sort of sequestering of of who you are in taking on this uh, other identity. I think there is it's almost one and the same. I mean, I think the phrasing that I used as well when I said like, oh, is it like a genuine like a step into like a new gender identity or is it just pure like self-preservation? Well, obviously, the fact of the matter is for a lot of people like gender expression is self-preservation yes so yeah that is in itself self-preservation so to separate those two things arguably again also does kind of missed a point what mm. i kind of meant was that like is you know alexia just like i want to come across like is she like she just she just want to come across as male to avoid literal incarceration or is there genuine? But then again, even though, yeah, I, as I'm saying this, I'm like, you know, incarceration, it can be like read as a metaphor. But oh, yeah, I think, again, I think because they're so tightly linked, uh, yeah, I think to be fair, now that I'm saying it, literally as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to be difficult to un unintertwine, mm. untertwine. Untertwine, <laughs> yeah. I like that. And I think as well, on top of that, there is this question of optics, what does it mean to live as a man? What does it mean to live as a woman? Uh, well, yeah. It's when people, it's when, it's like, if you are, if people, it's it's that real tension with gender and the ways that gender works on like many different levels, but it's that whole thing about when someone perceives, if you're perceived as a woman, for all intents and purposes, you are a woman, you know? When you're perceived as a man, you are, for all intents and purposes, a man. And, and you're kind of subject to the social forces that yeah, work and, yeah and that's the same that that's the same dynamic at play when people um hyper feminize or hyper 
masculinize their um their appearances in order to protect themselves in order to as you said earlier in order to pass more effectively just as a way of avoiding um people's suspicions um doubts judgments and and mm. ultimately violence and death literally it's like a hyper practical um way to look at something that I think is often misconstrued as being hyper metaphysical, hyper like, oh, la di da, you know, but it's really, mm. it is about, and that's why I think it's quite a cool way to, to, to look at it. If you, you know, of course, disregarding the fact that this is like a crazy, like crazed serial killer, pretty much, you know, at the end of the day, you have the, this sheer practicality of I'm on the run, I'm evading the police i need to take on this appearance to do this you know it's abc it's very practical and i think people forget about the practicalities of gender the practicalities of wearing certain clothes it's all about just it's literally just about day-to-day -day stuff it's very mundane yeah Before we draw the episode to a close, mm. I just wanted to ask one more question then, which links to this. Obviously with Alexia, what happens is that obviously Vincent's wife sees her binding her abdomen mm. and then it's like, oh, I know, I know you're not Adrian. I know you're really a woman. Da, 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 da. And then there's that other firefighter as well. He's like, I know you've got a secret. Mm. I know. And I think as well, something that's also really interesting about both those cases is like the older woman is like, I can read you as kind of like a woman because of like the signs of pregnancy that you have. Mm. And then the other firefighter is like, I can read you as a woman because we've got this weird little like romantic connection. But obviously that wouldn't happen if you were a man. So, And do you yeah. think that's partly why that man tries to drag Alexia mm. slash Adrienne so much is because of that discomfort that that need to like yeah. so rather than that there's this confusion around there potentially for him and in order to exercise that those those concerns that he's carrying within himself he needs to um he needs to police you know he needs to call it out and to address it and to change it in real life and to somehow bring about that exposure that will then, mm. um, what do you call it? Like vilify him? No, not vilify. Uh, exonerate him? Yeah. Vindicate. 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 Vindicate him. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether or not that applies to the, mo uh, the mother. What do you think? Because I think that there's a, there's a real tenderness there. I think the way that she yeah. decides to stay mute on the topic of of the actual like identity of alexia quote unquote she does it out of a kind of tenderness for vincent her ex yeah and there's this idea that again going back to the kind of affirmation thing and again i think it is even still like a way of gender affirmation for him to be able to kind of like reenact his father and son ideal mm. that he lost when his son was 
well, I don't know, presumably kidnapped or murdered. But yeah, and I think there's just kind of just let him have this one because functionally as well, what does it actually matter if Alexia is not the real son? Like if it makes Vincent happy, then is it wrong? Well, exactly, And obviously yeah. at the end, the film is kind of like, well, it's not really sustainable. Yeah. But I really think that that's because of the pregnancy aspect. It could have been sustainable a lot longer were it not for the big mechanical baby. <laughs> the big mechanical baby. Just a big old, just complicating things, bursting out, creating a lot of issues for everyone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But ultimately, that mechanical baby, <laughs> as we're calling it now, <laughs> is the impetus for the entire, this entire plot right the, the entire sort of unraveling um the gender exploration um the inter the the collision of these different characters um is all caused by that that conception you know yeah you could connect that to how the film does explore just how destructive interacting with other humans is mm. <laughs> you know and and how through the character of alexia this person who's committed these murders just for, for almost no reason whatsoever it's almost a, a representation of that selfish impulse that perhaps drives all of us fundamentally and the ways in which what we desire and what we want pulls us kind of backwards and at speed through this crowd of people that then get buffeted and whacked by us in turn i yeah. think there's just like a whole through the whole film there's just this chain link of person after person that um, just collides with Alexia as she's mm. moving forwards. And she's like a train, you know, she just, she just goes straight through They them. all just get completely, I know it was actually so weirdly funny. Um, the scene where she kills the, all the housemates. Mm. And then the last one, she's like, how many of you are there? And you're just, <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's me. It's, good, yeah, yeah. And it's sad. It's, it's a bit sad in a weird way. Cause it's like, oh, you're just so nice. Yeah. Normal person. Yeah, literally. Hanging out with all your housemates or your friends and you're about to get whacked for it. And that but, scene you know, was Alexia like... doesn't discriminate. Sorry, no, she doesn't. <laughs> She's very fair. you got to die, you got to die. Yeah, exactly. And she almost felt... She almost just seemed kind of like, oh God, if I have to. Do you know what I mean? She was at that point where yeah. she was like... And it was so sort of passionless, the way that she was knocking these people off. It was just like, okay, yeah, sure. And so unnecessary. But I think it does speak in some way to that the way in which everyone's on their path, you know, everyone's on their forward trajectory. We'd, well, we, we'd at least mm -hmm. like to think, you know, we're on a trajectory, <laughs> um, moving through life. And we just, we just hit people. Do you know what I mean? We just, um, we just cause pain to other people just on those forward paths. And like, it's when you get, you know, you get people who sync up a little perhaps and they're almost in parallel and they're moving in the same kinds of directions. But it's when you get those yeah. points of resistance of like conflicting desires and it results in this, in these these moments of like really pointed violence and horror, you know, when especially when she, she kills the man at the beginning of the film with her hairpin. It's that, that point of conflicting desire it then creates this instant of violence that is in itself like a nice representation of how um in our when all of our paths to to be us in, in order to, to claim ourselves to design ourselves and and survive ultimately as well yeah people do fall prey to that 
other people and it's almost like a struggle, a power struggle. So in that sense, I think the film does have like a, a bit of, there, there is a nihilistic element to the film. Yeah. Talking about the dichotomy between like human and machine. You could also, because, you know, there is a big thing. I don't know what they say in French, but, you know, like kind of even, even linguistically, we talk about people being like, you know, killing machines, like mm. being like unfeeling. And like, I think something that's really interesting as well in the way in which like you could say that um, Alexia has a kind of very like, almost like machine-like attitude towards violence and other humans yeah. at the start of the film. And then again, something that's really interesting when she's with um, Vincent is a kind of, weird humanization of her. So at least I perceived it like that. Maybe you could just see the whole thing as like a big disguise, but there is like a humanization. Because she is shown to sort of at least have pity for him, you know, um, which in itself is a valid form of compassion, you know? Um, And that does humanize her to the extent that when I read some of the press for this film, people were talking about how, horribly unlikable the the protagonist was i was i kind of had to sort of remind myself that oh yeah she was a serial killer (laughs) because yeah because i when it got to that halfway point as you said and the film starts to slip into something quite different you know a sort of bizarre family drama you do forget about that past that alexia has and maybe that in itself is quite a cool real-time exploration in the actual cinematic mode itself of transformation and identity and how when people talk about when trans people talk about when they transition um they have these they have this past you know they have this history for them it's a very marked difference potentially you know depending on the ways in which they decide to transition you could be living a completely different life to the one that you were living before and the cutting, the bisecting of the film into those two halves where you have this sort of rampaging serial killer Alexia and then you have Adrienne in the second half. That kind of speaks to that, I suppose, as well. So we've reached the end of our discussion on Titan. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think of the film. Let us know what you think of what we think of the film. And make sure you join us for our next episode because we'll be doing a deep dive into Edgar Wright's 2021 film Last Night in Soho featuring Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith. And (laughs) Thomas and Mackenzie. (laughs) Because we actually, that's actually hilarious that I did that because we had that conversation, didn't we? About how she's got a raise from the (laughs) film. Um, sorry yeah oh god Thomason if you're listening I apologise but yes that'll be a fun episode so please join us for that as usual please subscribe if you haven't already give us a rating and stay safe and see you then